So internal medicine was the the, the one that was I was mostly drawn to. So I did a lot of that hematology, pathology, and when I when I became aware of clinical pathology, that's when I was sold because with that in mind, I would be able to look at patients, but also be in the lab. And that was immediate. When I found out about that one, that's when I decided, like, I wanted to be a clinical pathologist. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. Having a natural sense of curiosity is important in a career in pathology and laboratory medicine, and I think it's especially important in pathology research. My guest today is Dr. Roberto Mota. His research focuses on the effects of diabetic disease on cardiovascular and metabolic function, and he's also one of the co-hosts of the Behind Our Science podcast. Today, we're going to talk about his career, and we'll learn more about Behind Our Science. All right, here's Dr. Roberto Mota. I know you went to medical school in Mexico, so I'd like to start there if we could. Uh, I know I, I heard, I think on, on your own podcast, you said something about you were interested in medicine at a very young age. Uh, so I'm curious about that. Like, how did you get inspired to uh, to go to medical school? Yeah, so um, my, my parents, um, they're, they're not physicians at all, but we um, they, they gave us, um, me and my brother, we were giving... Uh, like a playset. One of them was like a like a very old one of those like squared um, open from the top um, like doctors um, like a, like a briefcase sort of like a briefcase. Um, and, oh yeah, yeah. So I know what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So it was like white. I, I remember it exactly. It was white. It had like a little syringe, uh, like a stethoscope, all of that, like plastic. And um, I remember when I when I got it, I, I played around with it a lot, and um, I was like four. My mother used to take me to the pediatrician's office, and I remember when I when I saw that guy. First of all, I was like so, like small, like meaning like tall, so I always looked up to him. And then, so as it came across, as I, as I progressed, meeting this person, and then um, seeing his interactions, how people respected him, that they trusted him, that they built a relationship with him. My mother talked greatly about him. Um, when I was five, I just told her like I'm going to be a doctor. I don't, um, I'm not sure how, but I'm going to be a doctor. And that was it. I've been always, I've always been interested in health, helping people related to questions. I've always questioned a lot. So even from early age, I was a paramedic, uh, EMT, um, done a lot of altruistic stuff like Rotary Club, um, a lot of things. So in general, it took me to, to, um, to medicine and um, that's how I got into medical school. Just, just follow the trail. Okay, so you were like a, a a paramedic EMT. Was that that was before medical school? That was before medical school and during. Um, I it was certified by the Red Cross. Uh, I did a lot of American Heart Association, ACLS, ATLS. Um, I, I think I did it all. Like I, I was, I was really interested. I'm still, I, I still am. Um, I, I, one of my goals is to become a, a voluntary firefighter. Because I, I think I, I have that that um, sort of like a superhero complex where I, I want I want to help people in any way, and um, I don't know I, I have that 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 excitement for for things that when when danger is around and people need to be somehow um, helped and uh, someone has to do it I, I want to be involved in it. 
Okay. I, I, it seems like you you kind of, and I know this is the case these days, like you get involved in a lot of things. And it sounds like from even back then, that was the case too. Like you just wanted to know and do everything, uh, you know, you wanted to know everything about everything, it seems like. Yeah, I think that's that's basically my persona. I, I like I like being involved in that sense. I mean, I always try to devote time for for all of these things, and when they're related, I think it, it, I exude it. I mean, it's it's an everyday. So, like my kid, I have a, a seven year old, and uh, I'm sorry, eight year old, and he he just told me that he wanted to be a scientist. I pushed against it, like not trying to like engage him that much. I wanted to do it by himself, but um, he he just he's drawn to it. He's really inquisitive, um, asks a lot of questions, never gets, gets by with just like one answer. So I think that comes in the blood. Yeah. That kind of general curiosity that that's an important thing. And I, that's definitely something to, to nurture. Cause that's, that seems to be getting more and more rare these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually read somewhere that if you're, if your kids don't defy you and defy you, uh, not as in like a bad way, but they're not questioning you, Many of the kids that actually go on and move on to be like, I don't know, productive, uh, successful in what they want to do, they always seem to have that trait. They they always have that that um, that drive to be questioning. Why is that? Why did I mean? And many kids do, but but I mean, some of them go beyond, and that's a trait that people want to be encouraging, even though it seems like a little off to be like questioning your dad or your mom or something like that. Sure, sure, I understand that. Okay, and then now going through medical school, what sort of specialties were you interested in? So you said it all. Like I, I wanted to be in everything. So the, I was in first of all because of the pediatrician that I mentioned, I was interested in that. But um, working with kids, it, it takes a, a special type of people, and I, I didn't have that. So internal medicine was the the, the one that was I was mostly drawn to. So I did a lot of that hematology, pathology. And when I when I became aware of clinical pathology, that's when I was sold. Because with that in mind, I would be able to look at patients, but also be in the lab. And that was immediate. When I found out about that one, that's when I decided. Like, I wanted to be a clinical pathologist. And um, that was my goal. That was my intention, to become a clinical pathologist and be able to to do all of those things that I really wanted to do, was just engage in every disease and um every model, every, every, every test. So it, it became apparent that, that that one might be the most suitable one. Now here in the U S and I'm curious if it was the same for you in, in Mexico, pathology is, and like you get like a class, you know, or maybe two of pathology in while you're a medical student, but there isn't a required rotation and that kind of thing. What, what was it the same in Mexico? Like, did you have to seek out pathology or was it kind of easier uh, to be exposed to it. Rotations were a little bit brief, I guess, but they, there was pathology. But once, like I said, once I, I knew that there was, um, uh, when, when I went to the histopathology core or like a lab or the, anywhere the way they send samples, I was always drawn to it. So we used to have like this, this um, being on call and would, I would actually spend all my time either in emergency department or over there. In Mexico, it's a little different system. Well, not a little. It's a very different system. But um, you do a lot of internship. Um, you're basically the head of a of a clinic uh, for like a year. Uh, you're an intern for the most time, but you're actually like sort of like as an attending most of the time. So you do a lot of these mostly on your own. So you have to seek it. And um, I was really drawn to to pathology. 
Okay, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now then, what was it then that brought you to the U.S.? Research. So when I was um, second, third year of medical school, um, my uncle, one of my uncles, I have many, but um, on my dad's side, um, he was a night guard. So he was like, um, he normally stayed overnight and um, looked after like different places that he worked at. And I remember during medical school, he always helped me with like clinical history. Um, like when I had to like practice something like, um, I don't know, like questioning or anything like that, he would always stay up with me cause he used to work at night. So during the day he slept, but when I came in, he always had like this, this biggest, he was always supportive. So during that time he had type two diabetes and nathro and, uh, he, he passed away. And that's the time that I decided that's when I decided that I, I couldn't do uh, medicine per se. I needed to do research because I was not able to be there with him. And um, then I started questioning, like, am I going to be there for my dad? What if my dad is overseas and I cannot actually see him or actually be with him and treat him when he's something happens. So then I, I just started thinking, what is a way that I, I can actually do so? And it was research. Um, that was where my impact was going to be um, more broader and transcend my medical profession. Was it specifically like diabetes research from the beginning then? Because because that's what you're doing now. I do I do both. So I do the consequences of type two diabetes. So mm-hmm. uh, particularly vascular disease. But after that, that's that's when my motivation shifted tremendously. I was not. I mean, I was drawn because I mean, in Mexico we have a high incidence and prevalence. So um, I was drawn to it. But that in that in that moment. I was, I was so, I mean, I still have the date. It's um, September 16th, 2007. That's when it happened. And um, that's when my life changed. So currently you're at the university of Pittsburgh. Yes. And you've been a couple places uh, in, in between that time. So can we kind of go through that sort of educational path? I know you went uh, coming into the U S then you were at the university of New Mexico. Can, can we kind of start there? Yeah. So I was at the university of New Mexico I I applied to different places, um, but I wanted to do. First of all, I didn't know that you need didn't need to have a master's to do a PhD. So I was first, and so I applied to a master's, which is normally known outside of the U.S. that you need a master's to actually do a PhD, which is again not true. But um, I didn't know that in the moment. So I applied for the master's in radiopharmaceutical sciences at the University of New Mexico, and um, I got accepted in 2014. And that's when I when I was able to go, like move from. I was pretty close because um, where where I was born, which is Juarez, which is in the border with El Paso, Texas, it's like four hours away from from Albuquerque, which is where we moved. Me, my wife, and my and my first son, we moved in June two thousand fourteen. And so there, what, what kind of work were you doing there in New Mexico? So I did my master's mm-hmm. um, in nuclear medicine, but I focused strongly on um, a molecular imaging probe that um, looks at um, identifying um, atherosclerotic plaque in vivo. So we, we use nuclear medicine to evaluate um, inflammation and atherosclerosis progression in mice. Uh, I was able to do many other different like work related to cardiovascular disease, mostly um nuclear medicine related, but I was really interested in, in doing more uh, molecular biology and cardiovascular disease. And um, that's where, where I was 
where I got involved into actually doing a postdoc after. All right, let's keep going then. When you mentioned the postdoc and the PhD, uh, so where did that happen? So after the master's, my mentor, um, Dr. Matthew Kempen, he was the one that, um, so we applied for different um, PhD programs. I was accepted in multiple ones. And, but that was like three months before I graduated. And then someone in the pathology department actually told me, so you already have a medical degree. Why not just do a postdoc? And I was like, what, what's a postdoc? That was my first question. Three months before I actually went and actually did one. When I, when I did that, I mean, uh, I started questioning. I started talking to people. I was, I was at that time the only one in my program. So that, that's why I was, I was not having a lot of interactions with other people that were like looking for like different positions. And the people that I was working around in the department already were like either PhDs or something. So that we, there was not a lot of conversation about that. But then my, my, my mentor back then, as I mentioned, Dr. Kempen, he, he had a, he knew someone from the American Society of Investigative Pathology and he put me in touch with him. I was going to present at experimental biology, which is the meeting where the ASAP society goes to. And then I met, I met this this person that that I I was in t in touch with, Dr. Monty Willis, and he was the one that offered me my first postdoc position at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. The whole concept of mentors and and, and mentorship is, I, I think, it's really important, and I try to highlight that a lot on this podcast. And it sounds like for you, uh, you know, those were kind of life changing or career changing. Uh, you know, having mentors at the right time. Is that something that you try to do now, try to be a mentor for for other students coming up? Yeah, yeah, yeah tremendously. I think this road in academia and in other places as well is is, is rocky, is is difficult. And it, it takes perseverance and endurance. That's basically the word, endurance. You have to be able to, like, sustain. And that makes it easier when you have people around you, when you have people that mentor you and tell you, yeah, you should do this or that. Um, I try to do that every every step of the way. I have an undergraduate student right now that um, has been growing and growing and growing. He's only been with us one year, but um, I see the evolution and the the little seeds that you can actually implant on them and say, "Well, this is this is where you can actually succeed." Is a, this these are opportunities? If you want to take on, I will support you either way. And I've seen it, and with myself, I mean, it's 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 tremendous the the amount of people that you find along the way, doctor. And, I, and again, I will go back to him. I have many mentors and many of them. I, I, I try to take at least something out of them. Um, always something positive. And I, I think all of them have, but him in particular, I remember there was a, we were doing an analogy or there was a paper that came out about, it was called something about finding your bagel. So basically it meant that um, when you're going along the, your career path, you find different people, which are basically bagels. And the career, the path that you're taking is the the smear, whatever you're putting in there. Cream cheese, anything that's in there. But you need to find that bagel, that person that will go and do as much for you and advocate, foster, all of those. And I remember when I read the paper, I it went back. I mean, we still have friends. And I, eat, and I texted him, like, man, you, you are my bagel. And I remember he was just like, um, 
we were discussing that because the paper actually related how how important that is on which type of bagel you are a sesame an all bagel a plain a cinnamon like all of those and the variety of 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 techniques and mentoring styles that go along the way but it resembled the 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 importance and the fundamental thing which is you need you need mentors that impact your way. That's I could, I could definitely get behind that. I, I really love, I love bagels of all kinds. Yeah. We did, we actually made, we made a joke about actually like he was actually my taco because I'm Mexican. So we were like talking about his, uh, there's a hard okay. shell, a hard shell about. Okay. I like that. Um, you know, I feel like with, kind of with with social media uh, if you use it in kind of a productive way it, it it almost makes it easier to find mentors i think in a way although since maybe since everybody's doing that it might make it a little bit more difficult do you i mean have you been contacted by uh potential like mentees or, or something like that through with social media yeah yeah we get a lot of that we get um, involvement in that. I mean, they have different um, leadership positions in, in the American Heart Association, American Diabetes, uh, the Pathologies, um, ASIP, and others. And it's always nice to have people like not feel afraid and actually come um, come contact you directly. During this time, I mean, it's even like the only route to do so um, because email is, is, is so saturated with work. It's, it's hard. So I've had I've had people reach out to me that way. You you just mentioned a, a couple of the professional societies that you belong to, and uh, you know again that this is you you know getting involved in in everything and trying to to do as much as you can in all these different areas. And but I think it's important for people to be involved in professional societies because they these are the organizations that represent them. For you personally, like what is it? Why is it important for you to get involved in these? Uh, organizations and societies i think it's it's just the the way of thinking about paying it forward and also not shutting the door once you've come through it it's um opening it even wider like think about construction opening like the process doesn't have to just because it's hard doesn't mean it has to be hard for everyone the idea of having people that are i mean through society science everything there are landmarks there are people that are that are fundamentals for 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 any activity and in that sense i'm not saying I'm, I'm one but i mean people before me that have come have gone through that path and it's hard i remember back in in medical school and through my internship a, a very good friend of mine i still am in contact with him uh, he mentioned when i told him i wanted to go do research he said you can't you can do go to the u.s you can become a physician a physician scientist you can go to a top tier school. You can become a faculty over there. And well, at least to me, that's like a little like match that started a flame that, I mean, I, I can't put out still, but um, that's the general sense. Like that cannot be done. And that's just not true with, with all the efforts being done. That's important. And the way to do it is opening up through societies that can actually make an impact on federal regulations and people that can open up um, opportunities for really talented people that come either overseas or here in the U.S. that can actually have a better outcome of, of changing all of those things for people that are coming after them. Yeah, I like that. I've heard of like kind of the mindset of I think it's called abundance where you like everybody can succeed. Like there's, it's not like someone succeeding takes a piece out of the pie. Like the pie is big enough that all of us can have 
a piece, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I think the the other, the other thing that I've heard just recently it was like you can have a piece of the pie. It might not be as huge as you want it, but it might be a sliver, an X-ray of a piece. But you'll get something. Yeah, I like that. And, and along these same lines, I mean, with you being involved in professional societies, you're also involved in several journals. Uh, you're a peer reviewer, and, and you've you've published a lot of your own work as well. So here again, now I feel like the the peer review part is that part of it, it to kind of stay involved in the field, but also I mean I feel like you would sort of learning you would learn uh, uh, new things, new research, or learn about new research from reading other people's work. Is that kind of part of it? Yeah, in 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 general, it is. I think I think I've gone. I mean, I'm I'm pretty junior in my faculty position, but I've been invited to be. I mean, I'm a peer reviewer, but also like a section editor um, in in, di in different journals. And um, it's really rewarding because you see the whole process. Basically, when we're publishing, we see one side. But when you're a peer reviewer and then a section editor, and hopefully one day I'll get to be a um, like a journal editor or like a head of like the chair or head of a journal. But I mean, it, it makes it makes it easy to actually know the process and know how how the whole thing is set up. So in general, I think we we oversee all of that process because we want to learn about exciting things that are happening. But also, we have a we have a responsibility with the scientific society to to be rigor um, to um, be able to foster people in their success, but also in their ways. I mean, there there are certain things that we do in a way that it, it just needs to be done correctly. And I mean, I've gone through it with my own publications where you get harsh reviews and then you get soft, softer and something easier or harder. But it, it, in any case, you learn from the experience. So um, it is important to give back to the community because that's how we establish a self-feeding mechanism that makes it easier for all of us to succeed. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Roberto Mota. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Dress -a Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress Ahmed by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Dr. Roberto Mota on the People of Pathology podcast. All right, so let's let's talk about the Behind Our Science podcast, because you are one of the co-hosts of this podcast. So... I kind of want to get the sort of the backstory of this, like how it how it uh, came to be. So first of all, let's talk about you and, and the other co-hosts. Now, I, I don't think any of you work in the same place. So I'm curious how you all met. So we are part, all of us are part of the American Society of Investigative Pathology. We okay. we started as trainees from the society. I, I As I was evolving, I was in the transition to going into this faculty position that I'm at. But um, at that time, Daisy, Daisy Shu was the first person that I that I reached out because I saw I'm part of the committee for research policy and science. 
So we saw an initiative for um, Research America. That's what it was called. And it was to start something that communicated research. And we saw it. We, we looked for the for the publication. I mean, the, there was like an application that you had to do, and we applied. Um, I reached out to Daisy because she's really um, prominent in social media. She does a lot of this. She's a great person. She's doing um, um, research at Harvard. And so I, I thought it was like an ideal match. I, I met her through our different societies. We actually never, we have never met in person. Hopefully in April we'll meet at the experimental biology meeting. But um, that's the first person that I met through like meeting that, that effort. Then Marina came in um, because we wanted a, someone that was, good with editing and had some experience with it. And then Vic Meadows um, came after. And again, we all, we all knew each other, but we just gravitated towards it because we were thinking about putting together a big group that, that knew um, about different things. So Vic is really good with doing highlights for some of the journals that we are highlighting the American journal of pathology and the histo uh, the journal of histochemical. And then, so that's how it became a uh, about, I mean, we were just, um, just interested and then started putting the pieces together. And I think now we have, we have a good setup. Okay. So the, the initial podcast idea was, was your idea? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was my idea that, um, that I, that I came to and I asked Daisy, do you want to be a part of it? She said, yes, all together we put in the idea. And then when, when it become apparent that the society was, was going to help us and, and and support us and then the histochemical society came in and then other groups have come in uh, we knew that we were we were in the right track and then we started putting together the group all together okay and how did you come up with the title behind our science i just was i mean that's what i was telling them. like we were we were just talking and then i was like well i'm really interested in actually showcasing what's what's behind our science and that's how it came across we were just like brainstorming what we wanted to showcase. And it was, who was it behind the science um, in, well, I mean, highlighting the science itself, but then the people, because we know the stories behind that really motivate people that want to go to like different fields and um, particularly research. So we wanted to showcase their, their, their backstory. Mm, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to do here with, with the people of pathology. How long would you say a bit, you know, from the time that you, you had the idea and you started meeting and talking about it until you, you published the first episode? How long did that take? God, it must have been a couple of months, like six months, probably. And the first one was just like, it took us a, a really long time just to learn. I mean, because we were doing it from like remotely, like each of us are dirt, like in different places. We have to share files. We have to do the editing and editing all together. So um, it took a good six months after we, like our initial conversations, we outlined, I was really interested in doing it. So uh, I was, I was, I was excited. I, I, I was, I don't know, more than excited. It was, it was something that I really wanted to do. I love um, podcasts and people that interview people. Uh, I think, I think I, I, I was drawn to it. So um, it took us a while just to learn a little bit more, but um, as it came across, I think it was like around February that we that we released the first episode, February last year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was uh, that was like the intro episode, like introducing uh, the, yeah. the team and that kind of thing. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Okay, uh, you know, on on the uh, website it says this podcast promotes novel scientific research communication in an easily digestible and fun environment to all audiences. 
would you say that's kind of the goal of the behind our science podcast yeah that's exactly what we that we want to intend we wanted to bring our, the people that are are with us highlight not just again not scientifically uniquely we want to highlight how how people can relate to our research bringing people that are um, either in clinical trials patients that are have been involved in it people that want to be uh, be able to relate what what's happening in the scientific society we've been we've been i guess mesmerized with covid but as as hopefully we'll be putting that behind or at least in control we want to be able to to showcase other things but covid has has taken like um, like just overboard the, the the themes of all of these because we want to be cautious of what's happening and um, it's done that. But in overall, we, we want to target all audiences that people want to be drawn to it and, and not just do it in like a straightforward way. We wanted to do it in a fun way, meaning we have um, different segments like this 7.3 question segment. Uh, we have a different one that's called Lego My Ego, where we showcase uh, what we all our alter egos um, behind what we do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, the STEM Grounds insult that we've done many of the others. We have many others while having the the actual highlights from from the science that we that we thrive on. Yes, yeah, I like the different segments that you do because it keeps it. It kind of breaks up the sort of heavy science part of it, uh, it with some kind of more fun things. That that's that's a cool f- format. Okay, and and so as far as far as the audience, I was going to ask you like what the intended audience, but you kind of mentioned that already. Like it seems like it's pretty broad. Like it's people in the scientific fields and people who might be interested in getting into the scientific fields, but then also people who, you know, have, have nothing to do with it really. And just might be interested in the science aspect. Does that, does that sound accurate? Yeah. And I think that's sort of like what the merge of not just having like a one, one invited speaker. Um, well, well saying that, I mean, we've had some fantastic speakers. Uh, the one that I'm mostly proud of, and, and I just have to say that because I met him at the University of North Carolina was um, Victor um, Garcia, Dr. Victor Garcia Martinez. He he was at the University of North Carolina. I met him at, through the um, SACNES. That was the Society, the Society of Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science. And I remember I met him. Um, he was doing some interesting thing in biology. But then I read a paper that he published in Nature. Um, and that, that year he published four Nature papers. He was doing some tremendous stuff, and I relate it because he he was Mexican, or he is Mexican. But um, the the meaning the bond that we had was because of that, and um, I mean highlighting that was like scientifically heavy, but we also wanted to showcase other things that are not as scientifically heavy, while having all these milestone people being involved. We had other guests um, that are have been fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would you say that that? It sounds like that was one of your kind of favorite moments from the podcast. I mean, are, are there are there a couple of others? So yeah, that that one was was I think it was like our second episode. Um, the first live episode was also like a little difficult because it's we I didn't know what to do. I uh-huh. mean, we were like sort of like in the know, and I, I I didn't know that there was like so much production that you had to do. So like in be, behind what I was doing, I was doing many other things, and um, I have I have three kids, so. They were running around yelling like everything was I had to like put everything in control and it was hard. But um, and overall, I think that's uh, the, the live episodes have been fantastic. Um, the support, the moments have been like highlighted by when we have been supported by but all of these societies, possible collaborations that we've done. 
And um, and overall, I mean, episode every episode has its its charm. We've done Capitol Hill Day, where where we involve law, which is actually something that we want to be able to showcase. And the next month, we're actually doing um, Capitol Hill Day ourselves. So we interviewed Dr. Melanie Scott, who is also part of the ASIP. She actually attended virtual um, Capitol Hill Day, but this year we are attending ourselves. So that'll be an interesting um, episode coming up. I, I want to go back to the, the live episode. I mean, I, I give you guys a lot of credit for doing that because that's something that really scares me. I don't know that I could do it live. That seems a little difficult. It is incredibly difficult. I was Because we, we had, again, four people, four computers. We brought in guests. And so um, that was hard. I would say, like, I needed a producer. That day I was a producer, guest, interviewer. Everything was was all around. And although I like it, I have to say it was hard. So, um, and overall, I think it's 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 complicated. We, we we thought about it. We did this live episode, and then we did the second one where we didn't have a lot of um, guests. We have just a couple, but um, the first one was was a lot of different guests having them brought in to the episode because you do it. We did it through video, and then having all of them come in, having the right questions. Well, in the background, doing a lot of the other stuff, um, I, I found I found it challenging, but but nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, have you discovered other things about yourself from doing the podcast? Because, like for me, you know, two years ago, I would never have been the person that would be talking to strangers and having conversations with them. There just was my wife likes to say that it was outside of my box. But now I find that. You know, because most of the people that I have on the podcast, this might be the first time that I've spoken with them. So it's it's having a conversation with a complete stranger. And I find that I enjoy it, which is something new for me. Have you, in, in the time you've been doing the podcast, have you discovered things about yourself? That's a good question. Um, I think I found that um, reaching out to people is not that hard. You, we yeah. always have some people in the pedestals and like, you're now, don't reach out to him. Or like, no, that'll be really hard. I mean, I've always dabbled with the idea of um, just just doing things. Like, I mean, the the hardest thing was just to get a no from from someone. So, I mean, that's easy. But um, just learning that it's that it's not that hard. People, I mean, as you said, like even um, interviewing um, some people that you we never thought that that could have been. I mean, we've thought about having either um, people that. I don't know, probably out of our reach or what we believe it's out of our reach. But if you just reach out to their email, sometimes, I mean, it might hit. And in, in many cases, we've we've gone through it. So mm-hmm. um, that's, some, that's something that I've learned. And the other thing is, again, you mentioned the live episode. I think I'm a, I mean, I already knew I'm a multitasker, but um, I think I have a, like a, I like the whole production value, the production value and everything that you do, again, behind the curtains, is is incredibly challenging and sometimes it's not recognized so i think with that i mean i've learned that that's that's something to showcase a lot because it's 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 out there it's there but um i mean we don't we often don't see it but it's it's just important to highlight it because because it's really 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 hard yeah yeah i definitely agree and you're right about reaching out with people like, you know, these days I've kind of not really made it a habit, but I guess I'm trying to like if I read a paper or some kind of article and it has, you know, author correspondence, you can write to this email, whatever. Often I'll try to do that just to 
you know, say, I, you know, I, I liked what you wrote. I appreciated this or, or even to ask a question because sometimes that starts a conversation which could turn into some other kind of opportunity. Yeah, exactly that. My, my, one of my, the undergraduate that is, that's working with me, um, I remember he, I, he had a technique that he was trying to do. And so he had on this paper and it's rare that we contact um, authors based on that. And um, he contacted someone that I thought like was not going to respond at all. And he got like even a call, I think with him. So, I mean, it's, it's in general, I think we, we mostly put that pressure on ourselves mm-hmm. that rather than just doing it and reaching out, I think it's, yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a little more, um, more complex in our minds than what it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's like the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah. 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 You, you, you become more out of the shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Now you mentioned uh, some of the future plans with behind your science, the, the, uh, upcoming Capitol Hill day. Are there, are there others uh, that you can talk about? Yeah. Um, the first one is, well, we're highlighting black history month. And so I had, um, a really interesting conversation with, um, a friend of mine that he, that he, transitioned from academia to to industry he is a a very very um successful um researcher he does a lot of altruistic stuff um reaching out um to people again with the engagement of um of not just doing your job you want to put your input um your imprint and 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 something that you're doing legacy all of those things. I was really excited when I when I when he agreed to come to the podcast. So that will be released later in the month because we want to highlight it for February as as um, Black History Month. And um, we also have a, a lot of like we have um, our live, we're going to probably do a live episode at the experimental biology meeting in um, in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited about that because it's the first time that we'll probably meet in person and like all of us in the podcast while well, having. Um, a live episode from the actual meeting after how, how, how long has it been? Three years, two years that someone has traveled um, like in, like in person. So um, we're really excited about that and many other things that are coming to the podcast. So, yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. I, I, all right. I look, I look forward to those. I'm going to put a link uh, to behind our science. I'll put the, that link in the show notes so that everybody else can hear it too. This has been a really interesting conversation. I, I appreciate kind of going through your career, talking about the podcast and, uh, it's, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So, Dr. R- Roberto Mota, thank you very much. Thank you, Dennis. Great big thanks to Dr. Roberto Mota. Here's a trailer from another episode that I think you'll enjoy, and then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode. I mentioned that I really love outreach, and I had the opportunity as an undergrad to hold a human brain for the first time, and it really changed my life. And so, I'm working with our Iowa Neurobank Corps to create outreach programs for kids, particularly in underserved areas in my community where we can go and bring them um, different brains from different animal species as well as a human brain so that they can get exposure to neuroscience um, way earlier than I did and hopefully kind of spark that same interest in pathology that I had. So I'm really excited about that and I'm hoping to get some of those programs up and running this fall when things return to being in person. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's great. There's so much, there's such a need for getting, you know, young kids interested in these fields, especially like you mentioned in underserved areas. So that's great. I love that. Thank you. And I think we have an incredible opportunity, like I said, and, and gift 
with these brain donations that we get for our Iowa Bank course. Um, and so I think it's really important to use those resources as educational tools to teach kids. You can hear more from Kimberly Fiak in episode 77. So this was interesting to hear about Dr. Mota's pathway into pathology and how it kind of stemmed from a personal experience or at least a family experience, which this is probably the case for a lot of us out there. And I really like his thoughts about mentorship and especially about getting involved in professional societies and just trying to give back to the field. And I hope you check out the Behind Our Science podcast. I've listened to all the episodes. I mean, I think there's only five so far, but they're all really good. And actually, I'm going to be on one of them uh, coming up in the near future. I got to do the uh, 7.3 questions segment. So that was a lot of fun. And I, I hope you enjoy that when that comes out. I'll have a link in the show notes to Behind Our Science, as well as some of Dr. Mota's other work. Also, I wanted to tell you about a webinar that's coming up on March 15th. This is called Personalized Medicine for a Rare Disease, and this is put on in conjunction with Dr. Alexander Zhirov from Digital Pathology Place, who was also on episode 53 of this podcast. So you can follow the link in the show notes to find out more information about this webinar and to sign up. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others, and together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.